0: This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237 or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hello, everybody. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has just come out with some very interesting new guidelines for reopening schools in the age of COVID-19. Here are some of their recommendations. Kids over the age of two should wear masks. Yes, over the age of two. No sharing of items or supplies. One child per bus seat with each child skipping a row on the bus. Sneeze guards and partitions should be installed even between sinks in the bathroom. No cafeterias, no playgrounds, no field trips, no assemblies, and it goes on and on. Doesn't that sound like fun? To me, it sounds like why bother? But what's so crazy about these guidelines is that they're way out of proportion to the actual threat of coronavirus to children, given the scientific data that is out there. So we're going to talk about this now with the author uh, and Dr. Andrew Boston, former associate professor at Brown University Medical School, who writes about this over at AndrewBoston.org and has been tracking all of this data so well. Welcome, Dr. Boston. Great to have you back. Thanks for
1: having me on again, John.
0: All right. The CDC now says COVID does not spread easily via contaminated surfaces. That's another uh, thing that's come out in the last couple of days. And they've come out with these guidelines for kids. But this does not track with what you're finding out from some of these prestigious associations and epidemiologists about the actual threat of COVID-19 to children. Tell us a little bit about your concerns here.
1: Well, it's kind of... (laughs) It, it, I mean, the CDC, and, and now we understand why, um, you know, they've just been sowing confusions from the get-go about about uh, COVID-19, about coronavirus. Um, they their, their COVID view, uh, which came out on the 1st of May, um, very matter-of-factly showed that hospitalization rates for children, you know, from newborns to 17 years old, were quote much lower than influenza hospitalization rates during recent influenza seasons. Wow! So it begs the question, Janet, what, why? It, it, I mean, these these regulations are ridiculous. We'll give more reasons why they're ridiculous. Um, but why weren't they in place, you know, all these years for each each uh, seasonal flu, uh, let alone for for pandemic flu? I, I mean, it just it's it's just it's just bizarre. It it, it, it doesn't make sense with what with with, with with what I just quoted and, and with what you just described. I, I, I mean and and it's it's inconsistent with all the data that we now know about. Uh, in in, in terms of of the high-risk populations for COVID-19, children are at the lowest risk. It's not the the the, the, the hospitalization rate being much lower than influenza, as acknowledged by the CDC, is just just one piece of of, of evidence, even even when you have these rare uh, ICU admissions. Um, And, in, in fact, most ICUs across... North America, this was a study in, in, in the Journal of the American Medical Association published on, on May 11th, um, found that most, most of them have no children admitted with this disease uh, during, during the peak of the epidemic. And um, more than 80% who were admitted had congenital abnormalities, very sick children uh, on a chronic basis, uh, or immunocompromised children. Um, and even under those circumstances, they did very well uh, in, in terms of in terms of um, surviving a critical illness in a, in a child that, that had a chronic illness or congenital illness. Um, it's it just it just goes on and on and on. I, I mean, you can extend it up to. Um, there's a wonderful epidemiologist uh, from Stanford, very respected, John Ioannidis, uh, back. Back in uh, at the beginning of April, uh, he 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 analyzed the then available mortality data from Europe and the United States, including hotspots at that at that point. Mm-hmm. And less than one percent of all deaths occurred in those less than sixty-five year old, uh, five years old, who had no uh, underlying comorbidities. He's he's since published a very very important uh, pooled analysis of all these studies that try and look. At the real um, infection fatality ratio, in other words, the percentage of those who have uh, who actually are infected by by, by so uh, uh, COVID-19 um, as as the real denominator, and, and this is based on antibody studies, uh, and he, he pulled together 12 studies uh, that that um, included at least 500 people. And, and what he found is that the, is that the case fatality ratio is, is in 7 out of the 12 was comparable to the flu. In three of the studies, it was somewhat higher, running to the level of sort of, you know, these, these flu uh, pandemics, particularly 1957, say, 1968. Um, but in, 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 in the other two studies, uh, th- there, it was actually less than the seasonal flu. So, so you know we're we're really dealing with a disease that's very janice faced in 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 the end and not not to not to conflate that with Janet Janus <laughs> good <laughs> it, it, which which means that which means that it, 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 it this is really a, a a an aggressive killer of particularly institutionalized elderly nursing homes long term care facilities even assisted living facilities in my state yeah. Um, and it's really mercifully sparing of the young as far as we can tell.
0: Yeah, well and, and yet as you've written over at your blog, you've written about this pa- uh, this pediatric panic that's kind of going on. This goes back to Dr. Tony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, who's done all these press conferences with President Trump. He really had an interesting exchange recently with Rand Paul because Rand Paul had pointed out that the mortality of children is actually approaching zero. And yet you had yeah. Fauci discussing students really wanting to know about vaccines, even though you can't get a vaccine by this fall. What is up with Fauci? What, what is it his was, position here?
1: It, it was very manipulative. Before he grudgingly uh, acknowledged that Rand Paul was actually right about the data, he had to bring up this this uh, Kawasaki syndrome. Yes. Now Kawasaki syndrome is is an, is an inflammatory disease it can be it can be serious because it can also it can affect major arteries, the aorta, the the the, the arteries that literally supply the heart itself called the coronary arteries. Um, but it's it's typically self-limited and it can be treated with, you know, with with, with steroids anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, and it, 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 is, it is rare, but it's very commonly associated with all manner of respiratory infections. In fact, when, when I looked through the literature, an important paper was published in a, in a, in a, in a prominent uh, in, um, childhood illness uh, uh, diseases journal called Pediatrics, um, this was a study in, in 2016 uh it It showed that that uh, a a significant number of these infections are actually human coronaviruses which cause about fifteen to thirty percent of of common cold so so it's very it 's associated with all kinds of respiratory uh, in, in infections bacterial viral etc and you know the idea that you would you you would you would see uh, uh, some cases now in in the middle of this you know c- c- COVID pandemic is is hardly hardly unusual and 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 I, I also pointed out in in the, in the blog that, that that there's been a quick review of a hundred of these cases and it says quote it's rare children seem to improve rapidly. And children are probably still spared from most morbidities and mortality linked to COVID-19 infection, even yeah. when they develop this syndrome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's one thing when you're talking about some real cases that are widespread, as you mentioned before, when you see what's happened in the nursing homes and some of these areas with elderly patients and they're confined and thing all manner of diseases spread quickly in nursing homes. I mean, this is just a fact of life. And you have people with a lot of underlying problems, health problems that may make them more susceptible to contracting covid-19 and actually having and serious they, complications they,
1: they, they, they haven't yet had the benefit like they do with flu of of, of some sort of vaccination program yes yeah, exactly there, there isn't that- so, so that makes them even more vulnerable.
0: And that makes them more vulnerable. But when you start talking about Kawasaki disease or Kawasaki syndrome, the way the media has been talking about this is they're saying things like it's possibly linked, these sorts of things. No definitive data here. But I want to pick this up on the other side of the break. Dr. Andrew Bostom is with me. We'll come back on Janet Meffer Today. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn Centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 $100,000 to clinics if this goal is reached, and you can help. Call 855 402 BABY. That's 855-402-2229. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a preborn banner to click at Janetmeffer.com. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that- that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a non-profit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses and in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good, No you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. You do really have to look at some of the stuff that's being put out on the media now about the risk of COVID-19 for kids and conclude that somebody wants to keep people whipped up. Because the data, scientific data, that is coming back on the actual risk to children under the age of 17 or 18 of COVID-19 causing any significant problems, much less death, is out of proportion, way out of proportion to what we're getting in the media. Dr. Andrew Boston is with us. He's talking about this stoking of pediatric panic and Dr. Fauci and how he's kind of brought this along, along with some other people. But going back to this issue that you mentioned, Dr. Boston, before the break of the fact that Fauci and others have talked about this odd inflammatory syndrome that's presenting with kids who have COVID-19, this Kawasaki syndrome, which is not something that we haven't seen before, but it's never presented as there's a direct link every kid who gets covid gets this then they will die i mean what is his game here in freaking people out
1: exactly it seems like he's, he's he's uh he's locked into the lockdowns and this is another way to scare people into 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 maintaining them because after all what what strikes at a parent's heart more than than Fearing for for the safety and the and the health of their child, and right. that's why it, that's why it's it's it, it's it's so it's 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 so fiendishly manipulative to, to do something like that. When 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 he he actually acknowledged that Rand Paul was was right about the rarity of this disease, uh, in, in, serious disease in children, and and knowing I'm sure he's not unaware that you know there's this. There's this broad association between any kind of acute uh, acute infection, particularly respiratory infections, as it turns out, and the development of this syndrome. And, you know, so so why wouldn't, you know, a, a, a viral illness like this, you know, cause some cases of Kawasaki? Right. I, I just it's just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, it, 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 you, you, be, you have to say he's, he's doing this to manipulate. And, and, and now also, as, as, as you know, it's it's, it's, it's we, we were a week past that exchange, um, we're seeing that there's 22 European countries that, that have restored classes, and there's little or no risk to pupils mm-hmm. as, 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 as the evidence comes in. It was just a story uh, this week in, in, in the European
0: press. Yeah. about that. I, I mean important. the
1: evidence the evidence is 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 mounting.
0: It, um, well it is mounting. And you know what I have noticed anecdotally I was talking to my family about this a little bit today and I was saying you know as I'm out and about we I had occasion to go to the hospital this week for my daughter who needed surgery and so I had some interesting experiences at the hospital. But I said everywhere I go now and where I am in Texas we've pretty much opened up. So people are are out and about. There are fewer and fewer people, for example, who are wearing masks. But the people who are wearing the masks are what they're calling the Karens. You know, the very, very concerned. It's my age group, really. But the middle aged women who are flipped out. Well, these are the same people who have children in school. So I'm saying, (laughs) is is this an appeal to the Karen? If you keep the Karens flipped out, then you can continue to control the narrative and control the shutdowns and all the rest.
1: Absolutely, and the, the, the other thing that this reminds me of is, is, a, is, a, is a brilliant uh, paper uh, that, that resurfaced uh, by the late D.A. Henderson, who, who was uh, um, uh, the head of the Johns Hopkins School of Epidemiology for a number of years, but really led the campaign to finally eradicate smallpox. Um, and and he, he was the senior author on this uh, wonderful piece that appeared in 2006, and uh, it, 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 one of the things, speaking of uh, of, of masking, was that was that, uh, he and his co-authors felt that the only benefit of, of masking is really in a healthcare setting. Right. That, that it, it it doesn't extend to outside the hospital uh, or, or or a healthcare setting, and and outside of that setting, you know, he, he this group recommended. Uh, hand-washing and respiratory hygiene, right. period, and, mm-hmm. and, and not masking. Um, but, the, but the key thing about this paper that appeared in 2006, um, the, 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 the important money quote is that no historical observations or scientific studies support the confinement by quarantine of groups of possibly infected people for extended periods in order to slow, slow the spread of influenza, which is very much like a uh, called and, and they say the negative consequences of large scale quarantine are so extreme forced confinement of sick people with the well complete restriction of movement of large populations difficulty in getting uh, critical supplies uh, medicines food etc uh, that, that, that 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 this mitigation measure should be eliminated from serious consideration wow. i mean th- this is this is by, this is really a paper senior authored by the man who led the successful campaign to eradicate smallpox?
0: That's no small person. I mean, that's really significant. I know. You know I... Who
1: led? Who, who, who was? Who was? Who was um, head of the of the Johns Hopkins School of Epidemiology, one of the better schools certainly in the United States for a number of years. Uh, you know, so, so this, this this had been considered you know previously, and and they wrote up, and they were very adamant about about not implementing school closures. You know, they they say schools are often closed for one to two weeks early in the development of seasonal community outbreaks. um, They're talking about flu. Um, However, to close schools for longer periods is not only impracticable, but carries the possibility of a a serious adverse outcome. Well, I I mean, this is such an important paper, Janet, that that that, you know, President Trump should be reading this paper or certainly have advisors who are summarizing it for For him. For sure. Here's
0: here's another angle on this. When Fauci was raising the issue of a vaccine, which he's been doing for quite a while now, there are a lot of Americans who are a little skeptical about motivations, Mm -hmm. and I can't speak to the man's motivations. But if the vaccine and a widespread vaccine, whether it's mandatory or not, the vaccine comes out, you would have to potentially look at the possibility that they would want all the children to be vaccinated prior to getting them into school. Do we know his stated position on whether or not it ought to be mandatory once a vaccine is developed for children to receive that vaccine in order to go back to school?
1: I, I don't know this, but, but I must say that, that the idea, you know, we have a, va- we have a vaccination now for pneumococcal pneumonia. Yeah. Which which is still a serious disease. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it was the problem wasn't solved, unfortunately, by the discovery of penicillin. There's 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 there's, there's resistance, et cetera. And it's a major, you know, a, a crippling disease. It also causes meningitis. But but there's a fairly successful uh, there's a couple of fairly you know, useful vaccines but 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 they are given on the basis of recommendations not mandates True. recommendations for those over 65 recommendations for those 18 to 64 with, with a set of of comorbidities uh, recommendations uh, you know for, for children they they they're not they're not mandated and i think there's a huge difference so between between recommendations and mandates Ma- mandates mandates particularly now that we know the epidemiology of this disease you know, if, if you wanted to, perhaps you could make it mandatory for nursing home residents. Sure. You know, uh, uh, perhaps you you could you could make it recommended for these other potentially high risk populations that are uh, uh, lower. But even even for nursing home patients, I, I mean, the idea that it would become mandatory, I, I I think I think is 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 something that that really has to be debated. Uh, in the public square. Uh, b- now that we know what what this disease is really like, we don't mandate flu shots. I'm sorry. No. people hate to compare this to the flu. We don't mandate. it. That's right. Um, and, and a lot of old we, people
0: die from flu in nursing homes. A lot do.
1: Right. And you can and you can argue that if there's a safe and effective vaccine for covid-19 um, you know, m- very serious consideration should be given to to uh, a mass immunization of of of, of the el- of elderly residents of care facilities, you know. But but in the end, uh and and I and and you know, there there probably are people in 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 nursing homes, um, who who or, or certainly assisted el- assisted care facilities, I should say perhaps, that, that are that are that are much healthier, and right. and, and, and and they may not merit yeah, it either. That's right, so, but. Yep. But 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 I, I think there has to be some sort of a of, of voluntary selective process here uh, as, as opposed to, uh, you know, I heard Alan Dershowitz arguing that the government has a right to to mandate that a needle be stuck in people's arm. But he added the caveat, you know, for, for a disease that 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 is is, is can kill others oh. and 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 you know this this is we're we're at a very fine line here. With yep. Getting back to children, they, they 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 don't really seem to spread it to adults. That's what's so
0: crazy. What bottom line what you've looked at all of these european papers that have come out or you know numbers that have come out about how children are faring going back to school do you think that american parents really have any cause for super concern or, or there's a need to mask 3 year olds throughout the united states no
1: I, I, mean, I, 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 I there's no evidence for that and and it's not just in europe it's 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 in australia and asia uh you know ki- kids i think i think it's i think it it would be it would be, uh, you know, look, we're, we're in the summer already. Kids are out of school, uh, you know, but but uh, we ha- when we were a sane country, even even during polio a- a outbreaks, kids went back to school yeah, in, they did. in the fall. Yep. Now sometimes it was delayed a little bit because sometimes there was a spike in the summer with polio. But that was a real killer and crippler of children. And even in that period, kids, kids would go back to school in, in the fall. And, and, you know, and they, and they did okay uh, overall.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you look at how many people are now filing for unemployment. People who have lost their jobs, lost their small that businesses. That is so
1: much more devastating for than, kids. than this
0: illness. Exactly. How much, does that, how much more does that affect children in the United States versus well, COVID? Well, the medical
1: consequences, Janet, we're now first beginning to get an inkling of the fact that patients were were being crippled or dying at home uh, from heart attacks and stroke. yes, uh, because they did not want to get you know hospital-acquired infections from this, which which yeah. is a concern. But but on the but for heaven's sake, on the other hand, you know you, you probably if we look at you know we want to talk about case fatality rates. If we look at the case fatality rate for heart attack and stroke during this period. Uh, you know, it's probably much higher oh, well, if we could get a handle on
0: it. Exactly. I mean, these are such significant points. and Everybody needs to read Dr. Andrew Boston's stuff. Go over to andrewboston.org. Great, great information. Thanks so much, Andy. Always great Thank to have you with Janet. us. Yep. You take care. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. Oh, the remembrance of my great sins, of my great temptations, and of my great fears of perishing forever. They bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of my great help, my great support from heaven, and the great grace that God extended to such a wretch as I. Well, we don't talk much like that anymore, do we? But John Bunyan did, and so did his fellow Puritans. These were Christians who were absolutely devoted to Jesus Christ and to his work in their lives. And we have a lot that we can gain from their wisdom in our own day. We're going to talk about it today with Lewis Allen, who is pastor of Hope Church Huddersfield and director of Gospel Yorkshire, a church planting initiative in England's largest county. He and Tim Chester have written the book we're going to discuss. It is called The Glory of Grace, an introduction to the Puritans in their own words. And wonderful to have you with us, Pastor Allen. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you, Janet, so very much. It's my pleasure.
0: Thank you. What is it about the Puritans that you think is so important for Christians today to know? They, they get sort of a bad rap at times, but in fact, they, they have a reputation that I think they don't really deserve in modern parlance.
2: That is absolutely true, Janet, that the Puritans were, at their best, they were deep thinkers, they were big lovers. And they and if I can add to it, they were careful livers. Yeah. So they were they were men and women much like us, ordinary people, with their own trials, heartbreaks, tragedies, who were just convinced that the gospel was the best thing ever mm-hmm. and that they needed to think it through deeply, articulate it clearly, live it passionately.
0: That's right. And I think, so
2: that's why I think we need, we need to rediscover them, find out what they were saying and what points do they have to practical discipleship.
0: Amen. Can you give people a little overview on the history of the Puritan movement? I know there are lots of moving parts to it, but how was it that the Puritans <laughs> developed? How was it that they came to be the Puritans as we know them today? What, yeah, what, what thank, played thank, into uh, that?
2: Yeah, go ahead. Let me try a, a concise answer, if I can. I mean, Puritanism, certainly in, in England, was really... Um, a purifying movement. It was a movement to keep on purifying the Church of England. It started um, really shortly after the Reformation. There were men we would identify now as Puritans in the 1560s and 70s, and their burden was was to see the the truth of the gospel rediscovered at the Reformation worked through in the church, the state, family life. Hmm. And the world of commerce as well, and that was a movement which which had different expressions, but was was going on really through, let's say, for the next the next century.
0: Right. So it went on for quite a while, and people, of course, will think of the Puritans who ended up at Massachusetts Bay in 1630 and the origins of Same the word. United States. Yeah, yeah. But you know, how was it that the Puritans, for example, would have been different from the separatists?
2: Yeah. Well. Hmm. It kind of depends almost which decade you're looking at in that period and, and who's using the language differently. Um, some of the Puritans believed that separatism was, was schismatic, hmm. was grievous to the Holy Spirit. They, they, the earlier English Puritans were very realistic about the problems in the Church of England, the fact that, as some said, it was, quote, halfly reformed, hmm. that, it, that, that the Reformation had stalled within it but they still believed that they were serving God uh, and were best placed to preach the gospel being within the Church of England. Mm -hmm. Other Puritans saw that very differently. Some came out and were very hostile to the Church of England. Some were more pragmatic. Some friendships and families split over that that, um, that divide. Others could cope with it. Thomas Goodwin would be a good example of a man who, who worked within... Uh, the church women, but who felt conscience-bound later to leave it.
0: Yes. Right. Now, Now, one of the themes, as you've mentioned, about the Puritans was they, they were about discovering grace in suffering. That's one of the things that characterized many yeah. of the Puritans. Yeah. How was it that they suffered? Because I think this is a, a historical fact that is lost on some Christians today, the degree to which a lot of these Puritans really did suffer.
2: Yeah. And actually, Janet, as a, as a sidebar to that, I would say, the Puritans who are especially worth reading are those who knew personal tragedies um, and, and difficulties. but I think actually that's what we're, that's what we see in the preachers and the, and the modern writers we value the most are men and women marked by setback and disaster and illness and temptation. Um, so if we look at Puritan sufferings, for many of them the sufferings just caused by, by the hardships of life in the, uh, in the late 16th. Uh, and into the 17th century, so um, Baxter, Flavel, John Owen, uh, these men all lost their wives, mm. uh, and most of them lost a number of children as well. Mm. Uh, but then we're looking at men and some women who 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 underwent great suffering and hardship because of of the turbulence of the times they lived in. We think in England of the Great Ejection in 1662 when over 2,000 gospel-believing ministers were forcibly ejected from their jobs, from their homes. They were denied wages. They were literally thrown out on the street. Yes. Um, and many of them went, you know, brokenhearted, but feeling this was, this was gospel obedience. This, this was cross-bearing. Uh, and as that century wore on, the, the penalties against gospel preaching gathering people to meet for Bible reading, prayer, preaching, was illegal. So John Flavel, for example, had all the heartaches of, of losing, uh, I think it was two wives, um, to natural causes. But he he was forced to leave his church in the southwest of England. Um, he came under the, the hammer of the penal laws, the so-called Five Mile Act, which said that um, a man who left his uh, his living, pastoring his church because of the new law in 1662, wasn't allowed to come within five miles of his parish oh, wow. because they knew that he would, <laughs> he would gather many women to hear the gospel. So, so Flavreau was one of the many men uh, who felt conscience-bound to break that rule. He would slip into the town at night. He would travel in disguise. He would, the word would be given, and people would, would gather a little bit outside the town. Um, and they, they would meet often in the early hours of the morning, pitch dark, they would stage their own watchmen to see if, if the king's men were coming to arrest and, and fine and imprison hmm. um, Flavelin and, and co-worshippers. So the sufferings of ministry and the sufferings of the hardship of life, right. and, and those sufferings just give such a, such a depth and a realism to much of the, the best of Puritan writings.
0: Oh, yeah, you're so right about that. And you've got, I know, some excerpts there from William Bridge on suffering. Now, why choose right. William Bridge on that particular <laughs> subject among all the others you, who clearly w- were also writing about the same sorts of trials?
2: Yeah. I, we, we had to learn, we had we had to choose somebody. I think we, <laughs> and that's myself and Tim. Um, and, and Tim was, um, not Tim, William Bridge was just another who suffered in, in the Great Ejection. Um, he was passing a town in Great Yarmouth, which is on the extreme uh, eastern edge of England. That had many links with the continent. Um, it was an important town. It was a, what we would think of as a strategic ministry. There were many links with the best of of the equivalent Puritan movement um, in the Low Countries. It was a great privation to him um that wasn't that wasn't the end of his suffering In sense, it was a beginning his was a life of hardship and so tim and i could have gone to many but the book he writes lifting up the downcast has just been blessed by god through the centuries because there's a there's a tenderness to it but also i think when you read the Putin's on, on suffering they don't let the reader wallow no. They don't let the reader throw himself or herself down in a heap. They know when to be appropriately firm and they always take the reader back to the gospel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The
2: command to believe the gospel, the command to see whatever our sufferings in the light of God's providential overruling and ever-present grace through Christ.
0: Yes, that's so true. And I love that book, by the way. I have a whole big Mm -hmm. collection of those Puritan paperbacks, and that's one of the ones that I really love is a lifting up for the downcast. And you're right. this, This is generally true with all of the Puritans. They force you back to God's Word again and again and again and again for whatever subject they happen to be addressing. And there are many more in this book, The Glory of Grace. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Pastor Lewis Allen, an introduction to the Puritans in their own words. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My
1: wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn.
0: Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves 80% of the time they choose life would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of preborn for $140 you can provide 5 free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies a gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound and every gift helps to donate please call now 855 855- 402-BABY, that's 855- 402-2229 or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift 855-402-BABY That's 855-402-BABY 855 402 2229, or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We are back on Janet Meffer today, and I have to say from my own point of view that once you read the Puritans, you will be ruined in some respects for many other Christian books, because they're just so good. They're so deep. They're so Bible-centered. They're so Christ-honoring. And we are talking with Pastor Lewis Allen about the book, The Glory of Grace, An Introduction to the Puritans in Their Own Words. And we are looking at some of these great Puritans that you feature in this book, one of whom is William Bridges we were discussing on the issue of suffering. Another one you feature, though, is Richard Sibbs on assurance and i think this is a really important topic because as you say the puritans wrestled with how someone could know that he was one of god's elect and that's been a perennial question for a lot of us what how did sibs address that and what was the the general take there from the puritans on having the assurance that you truly are saved Mm.
2: i mean that's that's a big and a massive topic janet about the uh the nature of assurance in Puritan theology and and many, many big tomes have been written on it. Um, I wonder if the issue was was such a big one in in much of the Puritan era, because the Puritans had a decade, slowly joined decade, and there was a rich heritage of of Puritan preaching. Yeah. and I'm, I'm maybe among some of its leaders, a, a slight confusion. How and I've been preaching the gospel all this time. My people seem to be so weak in it, they seem not to get it, um, which is every preacher's experience. <laughs> and also, I guess maybe uh, the Reformation as it began to take shape in England, um, its leaders had such high hopes that Jesus was riding out through the land in the, in the declaration of his gospel. Surely people would all come. Um, uh, and and bow the knee and be saved, and the history of that period of English history is, is one of great turmoil and and disappointment uh, in many respects. And so it was a partial priority for preachers to be reassuring their flock, no, this is Christian experience. It's hard, it's difficult. Satan is real. Um, persecution is inevitable. I think some Puritan preaching on assurance was, was very arid, very propositional, very dry. I think the real helpful contribution of SIDS uh, and the section which Tim and I chose comes from one of his very famous works, The Bruised Reed. He's taking up Matthew 20 verse uh, verse 20, a bruised he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And it's such a good, good book. Yep. I think it was one of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' favourite Puritan mm-hmm. reads and it's, it's one of my wife's personal favourites. Now Sibs is so good and helpful on assurance because he grounds assurance in Christ. Mm.
1: Yep.
2: He doesn't lead uh, the reader into speculation about his or her soul's condition but he leads them to Christ. He shows them uh, Christ's compassion on the bruised and the broken his tenderness and care with those whose faith is is just like a smouldering wick hmm. so calling people back to Christ, getting them to look to him is just such a strength of, of much Puritan preaching but particularly it's a strength as Sibs deals with the topic of, of assurance. Yes. God sends his people through hard times. He's saying, bruisings will come. It's a very moving section in that work, which we reproduce, where Sibs makes uh, makes a claim that we need to be bruised before conversion. Hmm. You know, Our sin will bite us and wound us and harm us. God's providence will be strange and difficult. But having said that, God bruises us and through that leads us to Christ. Sibson says we need bruising after conversion. God will have us weak and vulnerable and needy, but nice. He knows what He's doing, and He will stay close to us. We need to look to Jesus, Prophet, Priest, and King, yeah. and and learn from His meekness.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so good. That's such a great book. Another great book, too, is is one new excerpt from Jeremiah Burroughs, who's also awesome. And he, that book was The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that you guys point out in the book that he had refused to read this book of sports that had been put out, yeah. permitting dancing right. and sports on the Lord's Day. This sounds so foreign to a lot of us today where we have, you know, full-blown shopping malls all open on Sundays oh, now. Yeah. You know, things have changed. But talk, yeah. talk a little bit about that. Jeremiah Burroughs and his commitment to the Word and his refusal to announce that from the pulpit.
2: <laughs> yes, and, and, and he lined up with men in his day. He knew that when King James I, who was not a gospel man, <laughs> a very, very intelligent man, very politically astute man, but not a gospel man. When he issued the Book of Sports, he was really knowing he was heading on a collision course with the Puritans. Who he thought were too powerful and too difficult and far too hostile to his 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 views his beliefs, so this was issued um, in connivance with with the Archbishop of Canterbury they wanted kind of to put a line in the sand they wanted to deny what they saw was the preciseness the pickiness of Puritan sabbath keeping um and it was it was Mandated by law to be read in the pulpit across the nation, Barrows was one of many who said, "No, <laughs> not doing it," <laughs> um, and that um, that that caught up with him. Um, he had to leave his position in the church in Norfolk, uh, not not straight away, but later on. Um, persecution got so bad; state state sponsored persecution, and of course, the word Puritan. Um, was a slur it was a slander it meant really uptight Mm. overzealous Mm. Richard Baxter as a boy said I remember being a boy and people called my dad a Puritan Uh, and he knew it was was used slanderously but these men and women thought well if we get that title (laughs) we hope it's because they see something distinct about us which actually is to do with the grace of the Lord Jesus Mm. and an equivalent Label, I guess, would be with the Methodists. That similarly, the following century, was a, was a term of, of abuse. Yeah. They were so methodical. They were so particular and demanding about their religion that they were known as Methodists. None of them particularly liked the term, but again, they were happy to use it if it distinguished them as, as serious gospel people. Uh-huh. But back to you, issue, Janet, yes, yeah, Sabbath-keeping was, was, uh, was a real touchstone of Puritan spirituality, The day was the Lord's church leaders who are Puritans wanted to gather their people to rejoice in the Lord, and they weren't afraid to say, because the day is set apart for those activities, then other activities must be, must be avoided, right. hence, the, hence the clash on the book of sports.
0: Right, right. Oh, it's so interesting. And yet it was Jeremiah Burroughs who, as you say, looked for all the everyday things that we have in life as gifts from god here yes. here's the man who oh, yes. ended up losing his pulpit, but he's talking about Christian contentment, which is you know obviously a personal lesson that he had learned
2: yeah yeah, very much so and it and and it's it's you know this, Janet, and many of our listeners do it's such it's such a caricature of the Puritans that that they were that you know they they were against the world. They knew that God gave every good gift richly for their enjoyment, mm-hmm. and they sought to do that. Mm-hmm. So the best Puritan writings celebrate the gift of work, as Baxter does in the excerpt, which we, which is the gift of family, the gift of love, the gift of children, um, the gift of food and drink. But they knew that the heart is wicked and greedy and seeks contentment in these things. Um, Burroughs is saying, God is offering a deeper contentment Hmm. enjoy what he's given you but seek it in the savior
0: right right oh yeah it's just it's great when you go through all of these Puritans who are you know many people will know John Owen and of course John Bunyan and John Flavel as you mentioned before Richard Baxter a lot Mm -hmm. of these do you have one particular favorite out of this group you feature in the book
2: yeah I do Janet my my favorite is John Flavel yeah some say Flavel, some say Flavel. Maybe you really know. I just happen to say John Flavel. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've done quite a lot of work on John Flavel. Why, why I like John Flavel is I think his warmth and humanity shine through and his skill at handling the scriptures with, with deep and precise reformed uh, theological grasp, but with such a, a worshipful tone. Um, is really startling. I went to see a friend in our church yesterday, and to my delight and amazement, he had a, he had a volume of Flavel next to his Bible. He said, "I just love this man. He just shows me Christ like nobody else does." And mm. and that's been my experience. Wow! I think John Flavel is especially readable. As a Puritan Absolutely I've really enjoyed His writings
0: Well a wonderful choice And so many great choices The name of the book Is The Glory of Grace An Introduction to the Puritans In their own words You can pick it up And so good to be talking With Pastor Lewis Allen Thank you so much Pastor Allen It was just a delight To have you here with us
2: Thank you very much A pleasure
0: Thank you God bless you Thanks for joining us Here on Janet Meffer today We'll see you next time